Welcome to Cube and Chaos. Spend some time with us, enjoying old cars and new, whether they are weak or powerful. Hi, I'm Jacob. I'm Max. And today we'll be talking to you about a couple of recent uh, custom drafts we've done on Magic Online. Yeah, so really going into our own cubes. And we will also be mentioning briefly uh, Legacy and Vintage Cubes and the release of uh, Corset 2021. So where do you want to start? Talk about your, like our most recent draft first. Sure. Yeah, it sounds good. It was your Chaos Cube. Right. So I've mentioned this a couple times um, on my YouTube channel and didn't give any details about it. Uh, I know at least a couple people were looking forward to seeing it, and I did uh, try to record this draft, but unfortunately, uh, the quality just got a little bit too messed up, and that's okay. I'm looking forward to bringing everybody another video of this soon, but in terms of how the actual draft went, uh, I thought it was really cool. So the cube itself is just under uh, 2,800 cards. Um, I think right now it's 2,770, something like that. And the idea is to simulate a chaos draft with a cube um, environment. And um, unlike some of my other cubes, there are a lot of rares, uh, but there are also a lot of cards that found um, are just way too powerful for the format. So I started by cutting cards based on stats, things like uh, flyers with or five or greater. I tried to cut some of the flame tongue kavu type effects, some of the um, kind of repeatable removal, but still had some extremely powerful cards like a uh, either cone of flame, which deals one damage to yeah, one target, two awesome. damage. What? That card ripped me apart. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Cone of Flame and Incremental Blight, I learned, are not only extremely good, they're effectively Plague Wind effects at five mana. So they're just not, not what you would call balanced. Um, so, yeah, Cone of Flame deals one damage to any target, two damage to another target, and three damage to a third. Uh, inc uh, incremental Blight's the same thing, except you need to uh, put negative one, negative one counters on those targets, and that means that. You can only hit creatures with it, so it's a little narrower, but still, again, five mana plague wind is a five mana plague wind. Both um, are pretty good, yeah. So the average power level of the card, what do you, what would you describe it as? Like, is it really like in a chaos draft, or would you say it's different? Oh, I would say even averaging. Um, chaos draft power level, so including uh, the bombs that I tried to and the unplayables that I tried to cut from the cube, I would still say my cube probably has a much higher than average power level. Um, and that's because when I was looking at adding cards, I was thinking about what the unplayables do, <laughs> or I guess I should say what they don't do. Again, I'll um, bring up the example of you know, Obnixilis' Cruelty in War of the Spark, and yet Demolish is still in that set as well. Um, I just don't think that, you know, that adds any depth to the draft format at all. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone, any competitive limited player, who thinks that Demolish, you know, improved the quality of the set in some way. So 
so yeah, my point was if I wanted to make the picks more interesting by making it so there's not you know, there aren't a bunch of unplayables in the pack, but you you have to make sure that you're still going to make tables for a deck. Um, then I will eventually reduce the size of cards in the pack. I didn't do that this time uh, just because I wanted to see how things would turn out. And maybe I could have reduced the size of cards in the pack because I think what you're alluding to, Jacob, is that most people had very, very strong decks. Yeah, I would say so. But um, for my case, I did feel like I was in very open colors. I was uh, green-red, mainly green. Um, but, I mean, I did cut some incredibly powerful cards. I did put um, a Prime command. command in my sideboard. Yeah. Because I felt like I should be aggressive. And that card, like a Primal Command, is a, a sorcery for three into green. And you choose two options. Um, you either put a non-creature card on top of your opponent's library or target the target non-land permanent on top of its owner's library. I guess you could do it to yourself. And the second one is you shuffle target player's library into their graveyard, or you gain seven life, or you search your library for a creature card revealed and put it into your hand. And that card, like, it's almost always a two for one, unless you, like, really need to gain some life to stay alive. Or if you really need to get rid of a non creature permanent that uh, your opponent's threatening you with, then. That also works, but I didn't feel like it belonged in my deck, so I cut that. And that's saying a lot about the power level. Like it's not like in in a real chaos draft, I would never cut that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that also says something about archetypes, which is not something I expected because I did not um, go into this format thinking, okay, I'm going to design really clear cut archetypes. But it sounds like you found yourself in such an aggressive seat that it wouldn't have made sense for you to run. Uh, kind of slower card like Primal Command, which, by the way, is a mainstay in a lot of the Magic Online games. Yeah, um, it was it it was tough for me to cut it, but and also my deck, I, it just didn't one hundred percent work out in a way. But I had a, a lot of very good one drops, and felt like that was enough of an incentive to try to be aggressive. However, I was then again lacking a little bit in the two drop category, but then my burn was pretty good. Like I had good. Early creatures and good burn, but not enough two drops. Yeah, I don't know. It was it was a weird draft for sure. But um, that happens with chaos, right? You don't know what will happen, and uh, I don't believe that if I draft red green again in this cube, I will see anywhere near the about seven one drops I had in my deck. Like it was just variants that just were there, and therefore I tried to do that. And I think that's some of the beauty of it. it. Will not be very repeatable the the experience. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that uh, that things will change um, large amount of the time. I'd like to keep uh, one thing the same, which would be the consistent power level of cards. And of course, <laughs> that was not the experience everybody had. So I think I've got some work to do on that ground. But it's it's really hard to uh, to narrate such a big list of cards, and and keep the power level close. Also, some cards are so weird. Like 
um, one card we had in our packs that I decided to not just check the original printing, but I quickly went to look at the at the Oracle text, and that card was the Phyrexian Splicer. So it's a it's a two cost artifact, and for another two mana and tapping it, you can. Uh, the idea is you remove. Uh, a keyword ability, flying first strike, I don't know what else is in there, but you remove a keyword ability from one creature and give it to another creature until end of turn. But the thing is, that creature needs to have it. Like, you need to have something to take away to give to something else. And that makes the card, in my opinion, way too narrow to ever do anything. If you could always say, oh, well, this is four mana, and I can give like two mana, investment up front and then for two mana I can always give first strike or flying. I think it might have a home in, in a very low power level format, but the way it is working and also intended to work, it's just terrible. Yeah, that card actually ended up in my sideboard and there were a couple times where I was thinking, well, my opponent has one creature with shadow and I think the splicer hits shadow. They've got maybe two creatures with flying and yet just like you were saying, it's just too slow and too narrow. And that, like a few of the other cards, just ended up being below the average power level of this format. Do you think we'll draft this again soon, or do you need a lot of work to revamp it? Um, so I definitely think it'll be a lot of work. And again, just to illustrate, uh, I've spent a lot of the last week uh, fine-tuning my Peasant Cube, which is now down to just over 500 cards. And again, this thing... <laughs> That's uh, this thing is almost six times that. So, um, but I have to say, like, I definitely cool that it's possible in our modern world with a digital cube to to play this. Like, imagine shuffling that beast up in real life and making packs of that. Like, I don't really want to do that. Yeah, no, it's. I think it's actually amazing um, that this is possible. That uh, we're able to do this on draft. <laughs> when I first tried to enter, well, copy and paste the 2,770 names into it, I was definitely a little... Uh, <laughs> you weren't sure if it would work. You knew it was a stress test for the website. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. And going on to Magic Online, what I do is I have um, the file of all the cards saved as a deck. I tried to, <laughs> I tried to um, save all of the Chaos Cube as a deck, and the maximum deck size on Magic Online is fourteen hundred. So I had to split <laughs> the cube into two decks. And is that two thousand eight hundred? Like, did you know that at the point? Like, coincidentally lucky that I was maybe at two thousand eight hundred fifty around the time I discovered that, and I didn't really want to have three whole yes, decks. Yes. I realized I tested it the more cards that I like cutting um, and not to mention cards that were expensive and that kind of thing. <laughs> it's kind of similar with my um, peasant cube, which I've been testing, I think every day for the past week. Uh, every time I test it, I see at least one card and I think, man, this card is good on its own, but no archetype wants to play this and good cards are not enough. Unlike in this chaos draft format. So end up cutting it and i'm sure uh it would kind of be the opposite for the chaos draft format every time i would see new cards and i would think hmm this phyrexian splicer card is probably not good enough 
for any deck and then cut that too. All right. So with that, I want to invite everybody again. We will probably do that a lot during this episode. Come to our Discord and join our drafts and you can play this wacky 2800 card cube with us. Just yesterday, um, one of my friends in the Discord asked me, when are we doing uh, another chaos draft again? And not only did the person refer to it as a chaos draft, which means you know I succeeded in um, some part of this, right? But uh, they're also looking forward to doing it again. Yeah, I also really do want to do it again. I don't know. Like, I was a little bit frustrated after my first game because I got smashed by uh, mass removal that I was not playing around at all. Like, in game one, I had a decent hand, and then I uh, got crushed by the second mass removal spell hitting me. Like, I just didn't expect, like, I wasn't expecting one main deck, but definitely not two, and both of them were pretty good. Like one was a, um, a three mana pyroclasm variant. I believe it did also two damage to both players. And the other one was uh, slice and dice. So it's a six mana right. deal four to every creature, or you can cycle it for three, like for two in red, and it deals one to every creature. And obviously, because of cycling, they draw a card at instant speed. And I didn't expect mass removal. I didn't expect double mass removed especially, and it completely wrecked me. And then game two, I was mulliganing to five and so flooded and it was so frustrating. And then problem, like in the, the, almost the problem was that in the later rounds, my deck functioned very well and I quickly to owed everybody and was also not very fulfilling in a way. But, I, but the, somehow it also really wants me to do it again. Like, <laughs> I don't know, like, Somehow, Chaos Draft has a way of, even if something doesn't quite work out, it just, or at least me, I just want to try again and see what happens next time. Yeah, I would say with Chaos Draft, um, I mean, so many people think the best part of it is the draft because just, it's like the, you know, life is like a box of chocolates quote. <laughs> yeah, you've got to um, eat it all. From Forrest Gump. That's right. how it goes, right? Um, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, so I think that as long as people are willing to stick with me as I do some more testing, like one of the things we noticed was there were three base blue black decks and every one of those decks won round one. And then those decks finished um, 3-0 and two of them finished 2-1. So now we know... Um, that the controlling archetypes are maybe a little pushed more than the aggressive ones. Well, and if you're that, saying you got wrapped twice... a twice, small sample size of such a huge cube, I don't know if that's actually true. I would say, I would say maybe we don't know that, but I think we can probably um, at least say with a pretty high degree of confidence that the controlling cards in those three decks were very strong. Cards that uh, wrapped the board, or threw a bunch of cards, or came back after dying. That yeah, kind of something thing. that I think you maybe could also mention is like you selected roughly like a time period from where those cards were printed as a main focus. Yeah. Right. So I feel like it's not a real chaos draft if you know, you were 
trying to, it's like some form of escapism. You're trying to get away from the current draft set because, uh, you know, some problem or other with the set. Usually it has to do with cards designed for constructed that are ruining your day and limited. Um, but if you're going into a chaos draft and you see those same cards, I feel like <laughs> you didn't really accomplish anything by going into this chaos draft. Yeah, so I actually, um, the cube, right. Um, and also I feel like the experience of like speed reading stuff, I don't really have that on draft because there's no timer. I mean, but I think timer. that's still, <laughs> yeah, I feel like that'd be mean though, especially because, um, more than usual, people were taking longer per like, pick I agree uh, that for this it one. Could be mean, but we can ask next time. And if everybody wants to have a timer, then I think we can put a timer. Like it's a different experience with a timer. I like both. It could could freshen things up a bit, like make you make you make the decisions quickly. Yeah, the stakes are a little higher for sure. Um, so in terms of the age range, I started looking at pretty much any any old um card that i think uh you know overperformed for me in some limited format that i've played so that ranges from like master's edition to m10 or um newer just felt like too new to me um and it's kind of unfortunate <laughs> m10, because like 10 years ago like <laughs> Yeah, I know. Calling that too new is maybe a no, bit of a stretch, good. but um, yeah, I mean that's that's when you started seeing like a much higher power level, in my opinion, in uh in core sets and all kinds of different stuff. Um, so mentioned the rules changes, and it's too bad we can't go back to damage on the stack or something like that for yeah. Uh, that, that is chaos, one of the but... disadvantages. Like the advantage of uh, of the online play is you can have huge cubes. And uh, you don't have to shuffle everything. But the disadvantage is you can't just go back to the rules the cards were printed with or something. Or custom cards, also something not possible, possible, possible here. Yeah, custom cards would be really awesome if you can make those. Um, but it might be very, very difficult to, uh, to balance and test. Because not not only are you testing individual cards that yeah, you've designed, you're also testing I against the I just think most people are terrible at designing cards and i think that would include me it could, it could come up with a bunch of vanilla creature names and stats that would probably not be too good but uh they have been printed for anyway so one of my um very few attempts at designing a card it was called a uh, man of war elves it was this creature that was both a mana dork and a man of war effect of course because, you know, what's the good of a portmanteau if it's not exactly like both of the pictures? And I showed it to one of my friends, and he was like, no, this would be way too good. Like, even for something like Vintage Cube, this is just yeah, too I, I, I believe, like, well, it was like 20 years ago. No, not 20 years ago, then I would have been 10. But maybe 15 years ago, I designed a card and was inspired by, uh, by the... Uh, Dark Eldar in Warhammer 40k, they have some combat drugs, like things that sometimes make you, you do stronger and sometimes kills them. Or that back in the day, that rule worked like that. And I made my idea was to have an, an artifact. I believe I costed it at one, 
And then as a cost, you would flip a coin or you target the, target the creature of yours, flip a coin. And if you win the flip, it gets plus two plus zero. And if you lose the flip, it's dead. And I believe people told me that it's too strong. I don't know if it is. I don't think I would want to run that card, but it's a terrible design anyway. <laughs> it's just, I don't know, it's all always feel bad card. <laughs> I don't know if I would call that terrible design or not. I mean, you have some cards in existence like that. Like, um, what is it? Like Goblin Test Pilot. It's like it uh, randomly shocks something on the battlefield. Basically, anything from the older um, unsets. <laughs> Pretty similar yeah, well, design. I mean, there, are, there are some uh, cards like that that I'm in love with. Um, I should look up what it's called. Um, but I added it to my Pyramid Cube just recently. So it's a, it's a red goblin for three mana. It's called Mock Assassin. And it has tap, flip a coin. If you win the flip, destroy target creature an opponent controls. Otherwise, destroy target creature of that opponent's choice. And I yeah. just thought it's funny if that's the only creature you have in play and you bounce it in response to its ability on the stack. would definitely be funny. I don't funny. really yes. think it's <laughs> that great, but... I mean, because then what happens, right? Because targets are chosen before the thing is bounced, so even if you, like, if you lose the flip, it just, nothing happens, right? Because they're, it's not like they're forced to target their no, own creature. just nothing would happen, yes. So you would have lost your bounce <laughs> <laughs> not accomplished anything. Like I don't know. Not great anyway. I think it could I mean, be good I think with some repeatable bounce, like crystal crystal shard. But then again, I mean, talking about your pyramid cube and crystal shard is a very strong magic yeah, card. Yeah, it would, so. would have been like would have to be some very bad version of that effect. <laughs> right. So one of the problems that um in this um chaos draft was the people who won seemed to have the most fun and the people who lost seemed to have the least. Um and I don't I don't think it's about um what kind of decks they built or uh whether or not they got to do something sweet. It just seemed like basically for a lot of people, fun is proportional to winning. Um, I'm not saying that's the only thing that makes people have fun, but it just seems like it's hard to have fun if, you know, uh, <laughs> if you don't win. I think is one of the bigger problems with Magic, uh, not just in these custom cube drafts, but just the game as a whole, to the extent that I've noticed on Arena, um, every now and then there will be these extremely brief surveys, did you have fun? And <laughs> like a smiley face base um and it seems it seems silly right but i'm pretty sure the purpose there is to try to turn magic into a game where you know winning is not the only thing that determines whether you had fun yeah they need um, to extract the games where the loser says oh i had fun and then i need to figure out what's going on there i don't know if that data mining project of them will bear much fruit because analyzing the data of a, of a magic game or magic game log, I think is very challenging, but uh, I think that must be the idea behind that. Right. 
And I'm not really sure it's affected card design at all. It doesn't feel like it has, but I think it's still a pretty cool project and a, a cool idea. Um, and I think that if anyone has the resources to do it, it would not be someone like me. It would be Wizards of the Coast implementing that onto Arena. Yeah, but so, we, um, we can make but, our guesses what, um, or we are even supposed to make our guesses what we think makes games fun and put that into our cubes, right? For sure. Um, so I think uh, kind of going back to what you said about um, the wrath effects, uh, which I mean, most aggro decks just fold to a wrath, not to mention two, like, or I guess let alone two. Two is just unbeatable. Um, but if the game is closer, that tends to be a little more fun. But making the game closer, that's not exactly. That's easier said than done. Yeah. So, so. in the in terms of um, of like, but that's normally why best of three is great. Like, I would have played around these cards game two and three, and that would have made everything more interesting. But then I was just so unlucky that I had to mulligan, and still went like drew like I don't know. It was like fourteen lands in the top twenty five cards or something like that, or even worse. And I just didn't play a real game. Like I had time to draw a lot of cards because the, the this control deck just didn't kill me very quickly, but uh, I was never in the game to win it. Um, so that's that's good in best of three, and I think that could have still been fun because these sweepers were not like sweepers that kill everything; they only kill small creatures, and you can play around that. And I think that's also fun playing around stuff. And that working out is one of the things that make things fun for me. Yeah, I think that's good for me to hear, just as the person designing this environment. There are a lot of sweepers that just kill anything. Yeah, but um, those but can I have another downside, right. which I think is also pretty good. So if they all, if they all cost like, I don't know, five plus is enough, but if they cost six plus, then you can even decide like is it now time to try to go under this wrath and deal enough damage before it comes or should i start stocking cards for after it and i think that also makes a very interesting gameplay so if the wrath is not one-sided then then you can play around it and if it's not too cheap so the actual wrath of god the card itself i think that is in a spot where it's oppressively powerful in that environment Yeah, because I you agree. can't see it, um, it kills everything, and it's so cheap. Right, there's virtually no playing around that if you're playing an aggressive deck. About how um, how games can be made a little closer. So if we say there's an even-ish matchup between aggro and control, or um, say it's control versus control, and then games last a really long time. Um, I mean, long control mirrors aren't fun for everyone, but I think um, playing in a game where there are a lot of twists and turns, um, <laughs> almost like a mystery uh, like TV show or movie, something like that, um, where you don't know who's going to win and where each player has a chance to, I think that um, is more fun than... <laughs> than so, cards that yeah. I will always have an eye on 
that I think are not fun is cards that snowball like yeah. an Ophidian. They can be in a spot where the, the gameplay is still good, but it's not only Ophidian. Like there are other things that just snowball, and uh, I think those can lead to very unfun games. Like one of the worst cards I can think of is um, two in a green two two. I believe with trample um, from Alara block. And if it deals combat damage to a player, you create a spawn right Spawn right yeah, yeah, exactly. That card is so snowbally, but also so so easy to kill that it's never a fun experience. Like either you are the person playing it for three mana, getting it killed by a shock. You think like, oh, this time it didn't work out. That's not fun. Or it works out. And it completely snowballs and the other player said, well, I could never do anything about that card. My removal was, uh, I drew my removal just one turn too late and uh, it completely snowballed out of control. And same is true with an Ophidian. Like if you can't block it the first turn, if you're playing a creature-based deck, then they probably drew their removal spell, bounce spell or counter spell to protect it. And then you're... Sitting there, losing all your resources while very, very slowly, or in the case of Ophidian, not even taking any damage, not even dying because of yeah. that. So I don't hate these cards, but you, when you are making decisions about your environment, they are critical, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Um, I'm a little less convinced that the player on the receiving end of the shock is having a terrible day than the person who's losing to 10 copies of Spawn Rithe, but... <laughs> yeah, um, maybe. It depends, like, if you spend a high pick on the card, then, I don't know, could be a bit unfun. I'm not sure. Yeah, I could see that. Maybe you first pick it, and then suddenly every deck has, like, eight removal yeah, spells. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's not... You are right. Like, the receiving um, end is way... We're worth there. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I think there are some exceptions or ways that those kind of cards can be fun, but I guess maybe one of the most egregious examples in recent memory is uh, Audacious Thief. <laughs> Do you remember that one? Not from the name. It's a. Uh, Two color and a black for a two two. I oh, think yes. it was in M twenty, either M twenty or M nineteen. Um, and yeah, when you attack that, it draws you a card and you lose a life. Doesn't matter whether yeah. you connect. Yes. You just have the to attack. Is, it is really a few bad. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of fun drafting it, I guess, but I don't think it's making up for good gameplay. But um, in the context of cube, which is not always peasant like we always play. I think modern-day Planeswalkers, or normally Planeswalkers in general, are very snowbally cards. Like they so often make the game about themselves and snowball out of control, and you feel falling yourself further and further behind. And uh, I think that might be why at least some people in our playgroup have an inherent problem with Planeswalkers. Yeah, um, not to mention, like, that might be why uh, the Uncommon Planeswalkers in War of the Spark didn't have upticks. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, can you imagine that format if those oh, planeswalkers could increase God. their loyalty? But some of them can still have this effect. Like um, Kiora, for example, in the right deck is still a card that like it produces the mana to draw cards, deploys the cards, and it can also spiral out of control. Sure. Not to mention the fact that um, proliferate was pretty, I don't know, common in that set. So even already, uh, so <laughs> it's not going anywhere very quickly. Right. Yeah, you you mentioned in our in our show notes that nostalgic and obscure cards are a good way to have fun, and I very much agree with that. But I have to say that is because of our play group. Like the people we recruited are. Yeah. People who already love Chaos Draft, which often are people that like these old cards. So it goes back to our last right. episode with know who your players are. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. There are definitely uh, players, even players in our play group, I think, who are not as big of fans uh, of these old nostalgic cards. Players who would rather play, uh, you know, modern versions of cards and again these kinds of players who have grown up with uh magic from m10 or later that kind of thing but i do think that even though there are players like that even within our play group um as long as the cards aren't horrendously unplayable um even players who prefer higher power level formats uh can enjoy them i i know actually um lsv has mentioned that he really dislikes Chaos Draft, and he also has mentioned that uh, Vintage Cube is his favorite limited format, so I think we have a good idea that um, just because you're an experienced player doesn't mean you have to be the kind of player who enjoys um, something wacky. Another thing you mentioned is that um, combos can be very cool, and the example you give I really like because it's not really a game-ending combo. I'm I'm not even sure how good the combo is, but sampling it is still fun. Yeah, um, this is the kind of thing where I, I didn't know that these uh, cards existed. I mean, I knew about Goblin War Drums, but then Familiar Ground, um, I only found that one as I was just sifting through thousands and thousands of cards to add to the cube. Combo. Like it, it, it was things people talked about when I started playing, like this, this, this combo of making all your creatures yeah. unblockable. So what these cards do, Goblin... Uh, Wardrums is two in red for an enchantment, um, and it gives all your creatures manners. And uh, Familiar Ground um, is also an enchantment in green for two and a green. And it says that each creature you control cannot be blocked by more than one creature, meaning they just can't block anymore. Like everything you have is unblockable now. Right. Um, I was really excited to learn that these cards were printed at the same rarity in the same set. So it felt like I rediscovered this really old uh, but sweet you know, combination of cards. And is it the best, you know, two, three mana enchantments to make your creatures unblockable? Maybe not. It might I'm just not worth sure. It, but uh, giving everything mana, like the Wardrums for sure is the better card of those two, I would say. Like, Stopping people from double yeah. blocking is inherently not very powerful. 
That's true. Um, though I will say that, uh, <laughs> again, for my peasant cube, uh, there's a very similar kind of combo with, um, I think the card's called Challenger Troll. It's a four and a green for a six, five uh, troll. And it says that creatures you control with power four or greater can't be blocked by more than one creature. And there are a bunch of red creatures um, with power four or greater that either have or can gain menace. Um, and so looking back to this ancient combo, um, some of these uh, you know, cards in the peasant cube too, yeah, which I think I, is really I, I like sweet. It. Like, there will be there are often more combos like that. I guess the the goblin assassin plus um, plus crystal shard would be a similar kind of combo. Like, it's cool to assemble it um, with the actual benefit being a bit questionable, and I kind of like that. Right. Yeah, I think that whenever you're able to do something cool um it'll <laughs> for losing the game in terms of fun value so um our last possible solution to uh having fun even if you're not able to win is when you have sweet archetypes um so one example of this uh would be and i think this might be the only time that i've ever o3'd um it was in master's edition and I drafted like this mono black Tron deck and I won three games. So every yeah. match I lost uh, one and two. And there's a card <laughs> called Howl from Beyond. Yeah, it's X mana and one black and it gives a creature plus X plus zero. And I managed to do like I, I cast three Howls from Beyond, um, one to win each of those games that I won. And I think thanks to the Tron lands, X was around 18 or something like that every time. It was just, it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really bad, oh, yeah. but it was I so much fun. That format. Like, it was fun drafting uh, Tron lands with terrible cards. Like, there were seven mana, four, four tramples, and um, all of that yep. stuff. Like, I also had a mono black, um, deck with a lot of Tron lands and that. Like every time you go back to, like when one of these formats comes up as a flashback, in the beginning people don't remember that this was the format where there were so many Urza lands that you could reliably get more than you would want. I had, yeah, that's really I, think, putting I don't it. know the, the exact number, but I had more than a playset of each. And then I was wondering, how many do I actually play if I still want to cast some colored spells? like? I will have all the mana, but I don't know. It, in this format, it was, I think, intended to best work with red. But um, sometimes people take the red card, but don't take the, the Tron lands. And then you end up in mono black, which is probably the worst combination for it. Because then this, in the same format, there are a bunch of double black cards that you, <laughs> you will never be able to cast. And your best cards are something like Sengir Vampire. Like, right. Yeah, that's that sounds super familiar. And even though, like, you know, I, I'm not sure I would call Masters Edition one of the best designed draft formats ever. It was definitely a really fun, like, sweet thing to do. And like, I can tell both of us are, you know, talking about these memories fondly. Yeah, they, and... I mean, it took very old and wonky cards and tried to make them work in a format. And 
this is almost a bit like building a cube at a low power level with only weird cards. They had very strict restrictions and they, in my opinion, made it work. Yeah, I think I think it was pretty fun too. I, in fact, I was kind of wishing um, we could go back to it. We just had a legacy cube on Magic Online, and I wrote an article about that. And I was thinking that um, one of the only uh, formats that I feel qualified to write an article about that um, I don't think I've seen too many articles about would be these Masters Edition uh, formats. <laughs> we anyway. could maybe just organize um, a format of that. I think it should be a possible to build the rebuild the packs somehow not sure maybe take out like soul ring and library of alexandria from uh some of the sets though yeah anyway <laughs> uh, so um the quote-unquote sweet archetype was five color control um and so you had a bunch of really expensive cards with Sunburst, um, so that was from like the original Mirrodin block. It's only in the set uh, with cards Storm, that cared about. Which was the last one you drafted back in the day, which was one of the problems of the of the whole thing. Like everybody settled down in the nice two color deck, and then in the last pack, everything was oh, let's draft five colors. And <laughs> I don't know, that was not the smartest idea. Yeah, maybe not, but definitely a sweet one. Sure. Yeah, they are. I heard that um, the person who drafted the five color deck that uh, he actually he got a good amount of fixing and he thought there was a good amount of support, but he thought that the sunburst cards in particular were underperforming. Which I mean, when you have super powerful control decks and aggressive decks, I can see maybe you're like seven or eight mana, you know, giant creature which is bigger than everything else but still dies to the same removal yeah. you know maybe is not <laughs> well suited to the environment so yeah, maybe where the uh, cards with sunburst felt a little clunky um i was thinking just some more good old five color cards i already had chromat which is like this five color yeah. ancient dragon uh somewhere in the format but i was thinking you know, maybe some five color sliver cards and i looked over some of those and i'm thinking I'll add Sliver Queen, which I think that's a really nice five color payoff as a five mana seven seven that for two generic mana you can yeah. just start. But how, how out one I, I know that card is like incredibly expensive IRL. Is that worth it to buy it to have it in a three thousand card cube to maybe open it? I think it's under a ticket on Magic Online. I'll check though, uh, because it's just classic. Uh, I mean, again, this is like one of the best ways uh i think we can do this the fact that so many of the cards are cheap the fact that we're able to have thousands of cards um like be draftable and uh you know tradable it's really pretty crazy that we're able to host something like this i don't know if anyone's one ever done anything like this about before what makes games enjoyable one last thing i want to mention and that will lead us very cleanly to our next section is if they have you have fixing you will reduce the number of non-games and non-games are always always unfun so fixing in the in this big cube is certainly a big challenge to to grapple right yeah um i realized that pretty early on i would have a problem where um, a lot of the decks would be short on fixing and 
most important thing was that the five color one got enough because every other deck could feasibly be only two colors um, and not necessarily need that much fixing. But the problem was that the best fixing, uh, just like we said in the last episode, tends to be at higher rarities. And while a lot of things are cheap on Magic Online, uh, some of the shock lands, original duels, and fetches, uh, not the cheapest. If fixing continues to be uh, an issue and just adding more and more and cutting uh, a bunch of the you know non-land cards uh, ends up happening, then yeah, things could work out in that way. But I think yeah, you've got a couple I other mean, solutions. Uh, one other solution is to completely cut the fixing. I mean, it kills five color and anything like that. Um, and the only thing that accomplishes is that um, it takes away the variance of some people getting fixing and some not. Like, I don't know. I don't think it's a good solution. It's more of a joke solution. Making it bad for everyone makes everyone equal. Yeah, it's something you can think about, but uh, not really great. But um, what I've seen uh, is that um, a streamer online, um, on Twitch, Scotty Nada, and he's uh, he has a custom peasant cube on Arena, so only very recent sets. And he uses another website than we use, so we use the draft.info because that supports uh, like basically all cards from Magic's history. But uh, this other website only supports cards that are on Magic Arena. The nice thing about it, though, is it supports having selected slots like seeded packs so you can seed your pack with having a guild gate in every pack or, or a mix of guild gates and game lands or something like that so you can make sure that there will be enough fixing and as of today that is not possible on draft.info yet but if you are restricting yourself to only very modern cards then this other website um i will link it in in the show notes and uh, Max will probably also put it into the link uh, under under the YouTube video. Um, this is a good option for that. Solving that issue. For sure. I will say with this particular format, um, one of the things that I found in Chaos Draft in general is fixing tends to be scarce, which just makes it a pretty high pick. There's not quite as much variance surrounding it. Um, in in regular chaos drafts maybe as there are or as there is uh variance in my particular format but i think that like making fixing a high priority pick um and putting a lot of it into green is one of the ways to encourage kind of a five color green deck and maybe discourage some you know three color control decks yeah, we also both discovered rediscovered some uh cards we were thinking about for other cubes. For me, that was uh, Rhythmic Lightning. Somehow, Okada really didn't have on my mind, but it performed really well for me. Like, it felt pretty strong. And it's a uh, red instant for two and a red, three mana. And it deals four damage to uh, any target, unless, the, any, unless any opponent pays two generic mana in that case, it will only deal two damage. So I really like the, the feel of it. Like you have to think about, should I use it now? Like the, the earlier you use it, the 
more likely you are to do the four damage. But also you don't maybe don't want to show your opponent that he is in reality only on six life instead of ten. So like this push and pull in this card made it very interesting to me. Like it felt powerful, it felt interesting, I kinda like it. Yeah, I would say there's a really fun and interesting design. I think it would lose a lot of the power level if it weren't an instant, but um, I remember someone in your chat saying something like, the only good cards from Prophecy are the Ristic ones or something like that. Yeah. And I, when, I, when I combed through those sets, that was just about exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking there are some good cards with alternative costs, and there are the Ristic cards, and that's like <laughs> it. It's so. different times than modern sets. Like a set of, a set of yeah, all absolutely. the models. <laughs> Speaking of modern sets, my card was, I think, in Vintage Masters. Um, it's called Nightscape Familiar. And this card, uh, repeatedly, I was able to play it. So it's one in a black. Um, I think it's some kind of zombie. Not sure off the top of my head. Uh, for a 1-1, one, one, it says blue and red spells you cast cost one less to cast, and you can regenerate it for one and a black. So just two mana 1-1 one, one regenerate. You know, it's a card you could put in your deck. It's something that the green decks might have trouble with unless they have trample. Um, but being able to make my spells cheaper really was uh, what I needed. So for instance, I think multiple games in a row I was able to play it on uh, turn three, holding up one blue mana, and I was able to cast my one mana mana leak um, thanks to the uh, spell discount, which was, I mean, it was just like, cool. it just felt good. It felt like I was doing something that should yeah. not be allowed in so Chaos Trap. if you put that in your cube, where do you slot it in? Do you slot it in as a Grixis card or as a mono black card? Question. Um, I at least in the cubes that I've designed so far, uh, I've had very few uh, three-plus color cards. Uh, but at the same time, if there's a card that tends to benefit from being in more than one color, I think I would count it as uh, any of those colors. So I guess, um, I guess my best uh, suggestion would be it depends whether your cube... Uh, has like tricolored cards in it or not. If you do have tricolored cards, then I would count it as one. But if at most uh, you have two colored cards and you have this thing in there, I would probably just count it as a black card because it doesn't make sense to create another entire category. Um, yeah, that's true. I think I would just count it as a black card since it would work in a like with like in, on all of the two color combinations. So it doesn't feel that gold to me, but I think right. it's close. It's interesting to think about it. And I know different cube designers feel different about that, and you will find these kind of cards um, all over the place. So we, I believe it was the week before that, we drafted the, the Star Wars cube. We talked about some of our expectations for that, uh, talked about some of the card choices and that kind of thing, but we didn't talk about how it went. So I thought, I thought it was really sweet. I. Remember, uh, personally, the turning point in the draft for me was, um, I think the card is called Retrofitter Foundry. I haven't ever actually played with it. Um, it's one of the most expensive cards in um, the Star Wars cube. And it's super good. 
it makes a bunch of different kinds of tokens. It turns one kind into another. It's a lot like trading posts, we talked but about much that better and cheaper. The podcast. It was in our first episode because it was my pick from, right. I believe, the Kartik Cube of the card that I enjoyed the most. I loved it in the control deck. Just having a one-cost threat that really can hit hard but lets you keep up your mana the whole game. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, functioning at instant speed is definitely a big benefit for this. So I remember, I think I was halfway through pack one, something like that, and I was looking at um, like Oriok Salvagers. For human soldier, and for one in the white, you can return target artifact card with converted mana costs of one or less from your graphic to your hand. Uh, half of the Bomberman combo, and I was thinking, okay, I already have uh, Gideon, aka, uh, AKA Qui-Gon Jinn, of course. And um, I was thinking I probably could go into white. And I was also thinking that, like, you know, there's a chance I don't get there on the one mana artifacts and the Oriok Salvagers is not nearly as good as the, um, the Foundry would be. And I ended up saying, you know what? I, I put this, uh, this card in the cube, the Salvagers, to do really sweet broken things and i'm going to try to do really sweet broken things with it and i think i succeeded <laughs> i um more than once was able to assemble this combo with executioner's capsule where i was just repeatedly yeah. Yeah, repeatedly able to destroy my opponent's creatures i even had um necrogen spell bomb so i could basically lock them out of the game by making them discard on their draw step every single time um, of course i was a little too far behind in the game to uh, go for that one but yeah, and again, instant speed discard, not to mention doing it repeatedly, that, <laughs> I mean, it probably would feel that is the opponent. so but. harsh, yeah. It, I mean, a lot of decks can just not right. be dead. I mean, at the point where you assemble that, it's just over. So I also really enjoyed the format, but I also have to say I was winning. <laughs> so I, I, I really did love it. I drafted blue-red slash black. And I mean, I had two overpowered planeswalkers that did bring me some games by themselves, and I don't want to talk too much about them. Uh, we'll talk about them later, a little bit when we come to the issues, but about the things that I liked. I valued one-drop artifacts that get, generate maybe even a minor value very highly because I knew that they enabled so many synergies. And it reminded me a lot about uh, a lot of the original Mirrodin block, where those cards were super high picks, like they make all your affinity spells cheaper. I believe there are not that many in this cube, but you can tap them for improvise. Um, you can sacrifice them to different things. They trigger many different cards, just trigger when you cast an artifact. And if that artifact just costs one mana and replaces itself, you can just really go off. And like I really picked them highly, and I like that, and it came together very nicely. But I got a little bit the feeling during the draft that other people did not value them highly at all. And I yeah. think this format just, it has a learning curve, I believe. I think that's true, for sure. Um, I, I think I was probably the only other person to pick them highly. So divided them between us, I feel like. Right. Yeah, I, I managed to get all four on-color ones for me, both of the uh, black ones from Scars and Original Mirrodin and the white ones 
from the same yeah, set. Yeah, I got the red um, one and blue ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the kind of thing where I feel like it wouldn't be a pure cube if I were to create duplicates of the cards, but they're so good in so many decks and they're so highly sought after by, well, me, the designer of the cube, and by you, the person who done the most test drafts. So, um, and I, I agree about the learning curve. Um, tried to make it pretty intuitive. Like if you get, you know, a planeswalker, AKA a force sensitive character, it's probably going to be good. I didn't think that they would be completely like unbeatable, but, but these, I probably should have expected one drop that. artifacts. They are, they look so innocent. Like they don't look like they do much, but in the end, they drive everything. Like they are, keep your deck running. They produce one one flyers of a sigh or um, efficient production or something like that. It's a four cost blue enchantment. That when you play an artifact, you get a one one topter. Similar like sigh, bit harder to kill, bit more expensive. Doesn't draw cards, but still, you regenerate value out of that. And yeah, people didn't seem to like it. But the card that I liked the most in my deck now is. Sort of a meek. And that card is so cute. Like, you can just play it, equip it, it's fine. But in this cube, it triggered everything. And I had, um, what is it? Goblin. What is that goblin called? Goblin uh, Engineer, yeah. I think. So it's uh, one in the red, one, two from Modern Horizons. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for an artifact card and put it into your graveyard. In your library. That's already nice. Searching, like playing a creature that searches up the sort of the meat that will likely just come back from the graveyard for free is great. But then also the, the, the engineer has the ability to only one red and tap it and sacrifice an artifact, return target artifact with converted mana costs of three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So at that point, like you can sacrifice it again, trigger it again, and just generate value of two drop and like. It's not winning the game immediately, but it's one of those combos that just feel very good when you assemble it. When the engineer almost okay, assembles sure. it by itself, you don't need much else, but a little bit. Like you still need something to generate the one ones. Yeah, I think I started uh, with a bunch of different ideas in terms of like the swapping artifact design. Um, at first, I was just thinking they should be ways of repeatedly like incurring value. So kind of like what you were describing with Sword of the Meek. Um, Icker Wellspring would be another great example. Two-mana artifact that when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card, same when it dies. Um, with that card, you just play it, you sack it, like, just over and over. You can put it into the graveyard, kind of entomb it with the uh, Goblin Engineer. I was uh, <laughs> pleasantly surprised that um were able to assemble... Well, I guess not even surprised, um, but... It was just nice to see that you had assembled that. When I was originally building the cube, I was thinking, hmm, do I want to put some truly broken stuff into uh, into this? Do I want Tinker? Do I want Blight Steel? Do I want Skull Clamp? I ended up deciding against all of those things. I think that was I probably do. for the best. Uh, that had to do mainly with trying to create archetypes and <laughs> archetypes that were relatively balanced. Um, so thinking about some kind of blue red like cheat into play archetype and the cards that were there 
were either like bad or completely broken. And so I, <laughs> I believe you also have fun. Goblin World in there, right? Right, um, and that's that's one of those. I was super borderline on including that one because I know um, it's such a powerful card, and like specifically in this cube, the fact that it doesn't just target your stuff, you can make your opponent swap artifacts. One of their great borderline broken. Oh, not borderline. It's broken for one mana. It's I don't know. Yeah, the reason that. Uh, I still left it in is because I felt like I wanted a critical mass of effects like the Goblin Engineer. Um, and also I felt like it requires a bit of setup. It's not super easy to do busted things with, uh, but it's definitely I think not I would be more okay impossible with it either. If it couldn't also mess up the opponent as well as being broken on your side. And when you know that the whole cube is built around artifacts, you can assume that everybody has some of those. So there's always something to do with it. With it, I think I just I, I don't remember having it in place. So I probably just didn't draw it or it immediately died. But um, this card is quite a thing. That's one of the things that makes me wish we could have custom cards because a custom card would solve the problem of you know trying to hit critical mass, but also we could word it in such a way that it could only target artifacts uh, like in your graveyard or that you control. And then suddenly it's not I mean, completely broken. You, can, you could play with house rules like, and tell everybody you're not allowed to goblin weld your opponent's things. And this is something people could do. Yeah, that's the kind of thing where I feel like, I don't know, rules like that term makes sense for it because telling people to do that when you're in the same room is pretty easy and someone will be like hey my opponent just tried to weld my stuff and i can be like <laughs> sorry you can't do that but over the discord like it's a lot harder to say something that'll reach everyone it's a lot harder to make sure everybody remembers it and I, that kind of thing so i don't think it's the greatest i don't know to do it, I, but it's something to keep in mind maybe even though um, you know there was no one who just like said this, this had to do with uh, my inferences actually about a lack of uh, complaints. Um, Twelve cards per pack actually yeah. worked out fine. Uh, nobody seemed to be especially playables. In um, green, not quite as bold or as brash maybe of an experiment, but um, nobody really seemed to miss it. So somehow. <laughs> Uh, the kind of really fundamentally like groundbreaking things, in my opinion, ended up being the least, I don't know, negatively impactful, yeah, the most successful. I agree. That was, even. That just worked out. So don't be afraid to draft with less than 15 cards, even though I feel like it's underexplored. I, I'm looking forward to um, reducing pack sizes, definitely for my peasant cube, which I'm hoping to. Um, be hosting a draft of soon. Have Chaos Cube. That'll we'll have we to see. Hinted on that, goes. but there were some design issues. You mentioned the bombs for any archetype as one of the yeah. issues you were thinking are in the cube. How did how did you um, experience that? This was less of something I would say is a problem in gameplay, and much more a problem during the draft and. This even goes back a little bit to the issue of spell bombs, and it's just because when you have 
only four colors, and they're trying to do relatively similar things. Um, some colors are trying to sacrifice things more than others. Some colors are trying to be aggressive more than others. Some colors are trying to be controlling, but you know they still all care about artifacts. So many artifacts are colorless, right? Uh, which sounds super obvious, but I think it's worth pointing out just because a lot of the ones in this cube also involved colored mana. But kind of regardless, I would say, of whether cards involved colored or colorless mana, they're good in so many decks. Uh, and by this, I'm talking about the spell bombs, uh, that really they would be high picks for any archetype. And uh, some of the purely colorless cards, cards like Sky Sovereign and Worm Coil, like technically, you know, your control deck is going to need at least one creature to be able to crew the Sky Sovereign. But they're just such powerful colorless cards that really without a lot of thinking, you can first pick them most of the time and they will make your deck like extremely often. I actually passed Worm Coil during, uh, during the draft. I took, I think, Executioner's Capsule over it and it was just the craziest pick. Um, but I already had the Oriox Salvagers uh, and it was also crazy just because the Worm Coil had been passed <laughs> to me. It is crazy. I agree. But I mean, there are also a lot of answers to Worm Coil. Yeah. I felt like um, so. I played against Wilco, yeah. did beat it, so I think it was okay. Yeah, I. It's actually hilarious. Um, I beat it with the same card that I picked over it. So maybe three executioners capsules later, you know, <laughs> I had killed the worm coil. Um, so one thing I know you're about to talk about um, is. Uh, so you just said there are a lot of answers to Worm Coil, and that's that yes. I would hope is the case. Uh, but when I was playing against you in particular, uh, you had another yeah. hard type. There and are I... a few cards that there's no good answer to. Yeah, I mean, I when I was making when I was designing the cube. I was thinking like, what would make the most sense? Um, should I put the cards that are the most powerful or the cards that make the most sense flavor-wise, like something like Thopter Arrest over like Banishing Light. And I think I learned my lesson uh, from the Planeswalkers. <laughs> so. Yeah, so my deck contained both Daretti. What is the full full name of it? It's for one black and red, you get a Planeswalker at three loyalty. And for plus one, it creates a 1-1 one, one colorless construct artifact creature token with Defender, meaning it immediately goes up to four if you want. And that ability was already good for me because it brought back my Sword of the Meek. Then for minus one, you may yeah. sacrifice an artifact. If you do, destroy target, artifact, or creature. For only minus one, that's also like amazing. You always have something like about to sacrifice. For example, your Sword of the Meek, you just got back for free. Yeah. <laughs> and it not only destroys creatures, but also artifacts. And with that, you have almost all the relevant permanent types in the cube covered. And then it also has an ultimate that, well, it's okay. Like, you don't care so much about it because everything beforehand already makes that card absolutely crazy. Red, black in particular, when I was designing this cube, there are so few cards in both red and black that care about artifacts. and. I'll say I knew I was taking a bit of a risk with this one, and I knew in advance how good it was with Sword of the Meek. I really liked it. I mean, it doesn't look perfectly like Yoda, but 
you know, it's just such a nice, powerful card. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think that it would be totally miserable to play against. Um, yeah, and, and that was not enough. My deck also had uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, which is, um, ah yes, also only is three mana. Also comes at three loyalty. Also has a plus one that makes uh, target player draw two then discard two. And for minus two, and that is so crazy, it gains control of target artifact. And there's so many artifacts around that it almost always finds a target. So this minus two already is a two for one, but it leaves you behind with a great planeswalker. I don't know what more you could want. This card was way too good, I would say. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, this one, I would say, is probably one of the biggest stretches in terms of representing a character. I think um, maybe one of the better ones would be like, uh, Gideon Jura as Qui-Gon Jinn. Even the names are a little similar, uh, but Obi-Wan doesn't really look that much like Dak. Maybe they have facial hair, <laughs> but like this this card is probably just straight up the best card in the cube, being able to yeah. mana, like gain control of effect, and as you said, leaving behind a Planeswalker. It's just it's really inexcusable. It should not have been in the format. I was feeling a little bit bad about winning with those because my deck apart from that also was very sweet but it's not like i'm going to leave them in my sideboard it's like uh can't quite do a still had all these because you know the other cards weren't in your hand necessarily and i mean there's no there was no skill in me getting these plans for it's not like i identified uh blue red was open and uh no i just opened deck fade i believe it was pick one pick two i was already more or less in blue red just lucky and then pick one pick three had the the ready for me and uh yeah one of the biggest kind of conflicts i would say maybe tensions that i had when designing this was because i've never designed uh designed like a themed cube like this before um it was like trying to make sure cards uh referenced the universe but also um you know felt good which means they had to be like synergistic they had to have a right um you know about the right kind of power level and i toward the end i was thinking you know what maybe i should have just called this artifact synergy cube and just cut all the cards that were particularly potent and yeah i don't think i'm going to cut all the planeswalkers um i think maybe you know, something like elspeth which you know elspeth's son's champion to represent ray maybe that's a little too good all i know is it immediately prompted a concession, I think twice, maybe, uh, from the, <laughs> the player I was playing against. So um, it'd be, I think it would be kind of like a, almost like a defeat of some kind if I just you know, took out all the flavor and story references and just called it, you know, Artifact Synergy Cube. But I think yeah. I'm going to keep my hopes up. I'm going to try for some kind of middle ground where I can you know, reference the storyline without completely breaking the games. We'll see if that's possible. All right, so I mentioned that uh, Legacy Cube just rotated um, off of Magic Online. And around the same time, of course, that 2021 has shown up. And it's proven I <laughs> um, was speculating that this would be one of the worst sealed formats in a really long time, just because so many of uh, so many of the mythics seem to straight up end the game, and that seems to be the case, um, at least I think. Uh, but the draft format, I think there's 
a lot more play to it. I think it's maybe one of the most aggressive formats for a really long time. Uh, would you agree with that, Jacob? Yeah, it, it feels aggressive, but I feel like also people are right now a little bit adapting to that. Like I think green has the tools to stabilize the board and uh, yeah. But there are some cards that I like. Games are at a reasonable pace and uh, I don't think there are any egregious errors in the cards that are in. Unlike Sol uh, Zenith Flare in the last format or something like that. I think it's core set and I don't think it's a bad core set, but... Um, you think the Mythics are egregious at all? Um, I have not faced too many of them in draft actually, so I've been lucky that far. I have read them and shake, shook my head to it and I've in, in sealed, I have um, faced uh, Terror of the Peaks, and that card is just not beautiful. Yeah, but there's that one. There's Massacre Worm, Dane Slayer, like you know the the whole cycle. There's the yeah, yeah. Garter. Yeah. Yeah. But the, I mean, there are also some really crazy bombs at rare, I believe. But um, in general, it still plays okay. And the there are very powerful commons and uncommons, and, and they are nice and flavorful, in my opinion, especially the new ones. I think the reprints are a bit weird in the set. Like, the new cards are... feel like, like they're, It feels like the new cards are all stronger than the reprints, almost, with maybe exceptions of the removal. Are you talking about, like, Grim Tutor now, or...? No, I'm, I'm... Well, <laughs> yes, Grim Tutor. No, I mean at the common and uncommon power levels, the cards we see the most. So... Yeah. The reprint cards are not, not not so exciting in my opinion. Like they're they're not high picks most of the time. It feels a bit weird to play with a new set yeah. and only like and yeah, I mean you want to pick the new cards when you play with a new set, but there are also cards in it that are old and unexciting, which I don't know. You're like doubly incentivized not to pick them or discouraged even. Yeah, exactly. Like make sure make sure to pick only the new ones. Over, maybe I'm overstating that, but I don't think you are. I remember very distinctly on the last day of uh, spoiler season, I looked at the remaining like commons that were reprinted in the set, um, the last maybe twenty or so, and I was just like, "How are there so many bad reprints?" <laughs> um, I will say though, in terms of the new cards, uh, I know you and I are both really excited about them um, for our peasant cubes, uh, yeah. which makes a lot of sense because for sure. yeah, I mean, we enjoy the cards and. I guess maybe have been the victim of variance a little more than you in terms of the higher rarity cards. And I have already incorporated maybe 47, I think the number was, of cards from Corset 2021 into my cube. Um, so yeah, there's some really sweet ones. Uh, is there one you want to talk about in particular? Yeah, there is one that I would like to talk about, which is actually a, a reprint. <laughs> which is fun, but it's um, a reprint that was um, downshifted in rarity, and uh, it's the Korean Dryad, which for the first time now is an uncommon and not, uh, not a rare, not a, not a rare anymore. And I'm I'm pretty excited about that. I think it will fit well in in my peasant cube and uh, help the blue green counters team, but. Um, it can also, the nice thing about what I like about it is that while it clearly belongs into one of the decks there, it could perform in other decks, but it's a little bit incentivizing people to maybe go off rails and do something five colorish. And uh, I kind of like that card. I think it's cute. Um, it's not even the, like, I feel like people are not taking super highly in uh, M21 draft. And um, 
yeah, I, I just kind of like the card. It, it, it strikes some nostalgia with me, and uh, yeah, I, I like to see it there. Yeah, I think it's a pretty sweet card. I would say one of my favorite things when looking at um at spoilers is uh, if I see a reprint and I see like a a rarity downshift or a rarity upshift that I agree with, I it just feels really nice um, to see yes. something make sense in a different place, I guess. Um, <clears throat> also, yeah, in terms of your cube, you're, um, you mentioned that uh, you're thinking about having like Sanctums and Hondens in your cube and going off the rails, doing five color stuff uh, feels better when you have a payoff like the Dryad, right? Yeah. So... Uh, I guess the cards I'm most excited about in my cube would be something like Watcher of the Spheres and uh, Experimental Overload, the cards that I've used as uh, my signposts for the blue-white and blue-red archetypes. Oh, yeah. Mm. I'm somehow not so high on the Experimental Overload. Like, I think it's probably good that it doesn't... that it exiles itself, but, like... I don't know. Somehow, somehow it doesn't strike a good good tone with me. I would like it if the the creature it made would drink and grow with the number of instant or sorceries. And I think I would also like it if it remains in the graveyard. But like the way it works right now, it it just feels clunky. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't know why. That's valid. Um, I wasn't sure about the card first either. Uh... I hadn't played with it. I asked Numat what yeah, what he thought at one point and he said that um he said that he thought it was really good and I was like, "Okay, I'll give it a shot." And through some testing, I was actually very impressed. Mm-hmm. Um card was reliably making tokens that were like 3/3 three, three or larger. The fact that it exiled itself was very relevant because uh there would be some kind of broken loop with something if it didn't do that. Um and it was but I mean, there are cards that do the broken loop, like already available. So I don't know, like the um, the Dowser, yeah, in, in, like Shipwreck Dowser, just costs one more mana. It's a three-three body with prowess, and it returns instant or sorcery. But you can bounce it, or if you if you play Rise Against, it uh, comes back over and over again, and Somehow that card feels stronger and not and it's also not gold. I could see like see where you're coming from, and I think for the most part I agree that the Dowser is usually a stronger card, um, and it's not gold. In my format though, one of the things I've noticed is uh, or at least my peasant cube format is that it's such a fast format. Um, you have like that aggro decks with like turn one healer's hawk. If you remember that card from Guilds of Ravnica, that kind of thing. For sure, yeah. It's actually such a big deal that the card costs four mana, not five. Um, Just because you can't afford to play more than maybe two or three cards at five mana. Um, And you're always getting back like uh, something like light up the stage and then casting that for one mana and then exiling another two cards. And um, and I've actually had a few times where it's been like a 5-5 five, five or something like that, like bigger than a Shipwreck Dowser uh, really often. So My Shipwreck Dowser is always bigger than 5-5. Five, five. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> anyway. No, but um, I don't know. Like it, it could be just an emotional response that... I don't like it. I might like it soon. So I haven't played so much of the format. Like I've done, 
I don't know, like five drafts of M21 and one sealed. I think I was five drafts in on my first day. <laughs> um, no, well, I don't. I can't. I don't have the time right now for that. Sadly. <laughs> oh, I haven't. I don't know if I've done one since. But uh, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like it more than that. Yeah. Um, I'll say though that uh, you know you might not like the card a ton in M twenty one, but you'll have to try it out in my cube. That's that's the deal I'm making with you. In order to tell me that you don't like how to play it. All right, all right. If if I if I open it, I will pick one, pack one. It, I promise. Yeah. So, just quickly, I want to mention something that will be coming up then in our next episode. Um, we'll be talking more about M21. As we said, we like a lot of the cards and really want to discuss some more of them. And with them come some interesting changes, at least to my cube, that are possible but not not yet uh, set in stone. But also kickstart happened so like there's so many new cards coming out but i think also kickstart is very interesting and uh yeah i just wanted to quickly mention it here but next time we'll talk more about that yeah we might also mention um vintage cube being on magic online and i think it'll be around for a month so it's an awfully long time to be able to play it um and yeah jumpstart like you said uh being released that's a, another pretty exciting one for peasant cubes with that, uh, we want to thank you all for listening and want to remind you again, come join our Discord and play some cube draft with us. See you there. Happy cubing. For listening. Bye.